Ramble. I don't really like doing chores around the house. I'm going to be honest with you. And I especially used to hate doing laundry. It was just one of my more tedious tasks. It takes so much time and I often feel tempted to not even bother sorting out my clothes. But I've been trying to motivate myself to get a lot more organized and I finally found a way to make doing my chores so much more interesting, so much more engaging. And that's by listening to audiobooks on Audible. You guys know me, there is nothing like playing a good psychological thriller. So obviously that's what I've been listening to. I'm currently listening to The Housemaid by Frida McFadden. The main character, Millie, is out on parole and she's desperate for her job. She doesn't have any money. She's living out of her car and she gets this opportunity to be this rich family's housemaid. Millie agrees, even though there's just something really strange about the Winchesters, especially the wife, Nina. She just seems to love finding ways to make Millie's life very difficult The family is hiding something and Millie is hiding something and there's just so much tension between Millie and the husband. It's one of those stories that you can't stop listening to and I can't wait to finish it and start the next audiobook in this series. But if Thriller is not your thing, don't worry. Audible lets you pick from thousands of titles to find the perfect soundtrack to your day. You can find audiobooks from any genre, fiction, nonfiction, wellness, self-help. But they also have podcasts like this one, guided wellness programs, comedy, and originals. Living life without using Audible is like eating food with no seasoning. Sure, you still get your nutrients in, but it's missing that extra flavor, you know? So if you want to spice up your day, I highly recommend Audible. Audible members can keep one title a month to keep from the entire catalog. New members can try Audible now free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash rotten or text rotten to 500 500. That's audible.com slash rotten or text rotten to 500 500 to try Audible free for 30 days. Hi everyone. Welcome to the first episode of Rotten Mango, which is what I'm calling this podcast because my dog Mango is fucking rotten. Oh no, I have a British accent. Okay, let me get it out of my system real quick. <laughs> How do you get it out of your okay, system? Okay, Hello. We just lost all of our viewers and our listeners. We have none. You just lost me. <laughs> okay. Hi. Welcome to uh, welcome to the first episode of our first podcast called Rotten Mango, where we will be talking about crime that's too gruesome that I really don't feel like is something that I can talk about when I'm mukbanging it out like the fat ass that I am, because I'm usually eating and talking about crime. And when you're eating, there's just a part of you that can't talk about the most gruesome of the gruesome crimes. It just doesn't feel like it meshes well. So I've dedicated this entire podcast to talk about all of the crimes that have been highly requested that I just can't seem to do for a mukbang. And it feels really weird not having a camera here. So thank you for inviting me into your ear holes today. I promise promise I will take good care of them. Just like corrupting their... Corrupting? (laughs) Corrupting. Are you caressing or corrupting? This is getting weird. (laughs) This is a crime podcast, sir. Get it together. Exactly. (laughs) <laughs> so hi i'm stephanie sue this is mr mango butt my co-host and today <laughs> it sounds so professional <laughs> welcome to the most responsible podcast no i'm your bad bits miss mango butt and this my other bits me mr. my mango. worst half <laughs> so today we're gonna be talking about the toy box killer which again has been so highly requested on my main channel on youtube I don't know where the fuck this is going. Um, do you know where to post these? <laughs> post what? This? Yeah. On YouTube. No. Oh, um, Okay, Spotify. we'll figure it out. On I mean, iTunes. obviously, if you guys hear this, that means we have figured it out. <laughs> okay. 
Okay, um, so today we're going to be talking about the Toy Box Killer, which has been highly requested, and it's just one of the strangest cases in the sense that I can't really, like, I could say it's the strangest case because it's the most gruesome case, yes, but I feel like I could kind of apply that word to so many other cases, but this, this is just weird because... I mean, have you ever heard of a case where the victims don't even themselves know what they're the victims of? Or some of them don't even know that they were a victim at all. Yeah, just like... You're like marriage. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And it's, you know, he's kind of known David Parker Ray, who is the toy box killer. That's his nickname. David Parker Ray. I know. It sounds fancy, but he's not a fancy dude. What's his last name? Ray. Okay. David Ray. But okay. people call him David Parker Ray. Mm. Okay. I don't know. It has something to do with the people like to add that mystique, that mystery to serial killers. And David Ray doesn't sound as mysterious as David Parker Ray, right? I mean, he's called Toy Box Killer. Yes, that's his nickname. That's Is that mysterious? I think so, because once you find out about what the toy box is, there's an actual physical toy box. Like, it's not just a nickname. Like, he created a toy box, but instead of toys, they were um, full-on human beings. Yeah, and so what's very interesting about this one is, technically, you see him on a a lot of lists that say he's one of the most prolific serial killers of the United States. Mm Mm-hmm. But they've only found, like, no, I don't think they found any bodies. But they're certain of two murders. They have not found any bodies. But the police and the FBI, they estimate around 80 to 100 dead. So they think, possibly, they assume, Mm. most likely, that he has 100 victims that are dead. And they only found two? They only know of two, but I don't think they found their bodies. So it's kind of weird because, you know, when you think about all the other serial killers that are on these like lists as David Parker Ray, which is kind of crazy that we as a society are like, let's just like list them top 10. Who's your top 10, right? Who's your bias (laughs) for serial killer? Um, Yeah, he's always on them. And the other serial killers, like they found many, many bodies. And even with those serial killers, they're like, okay, we found 20, but we assume there's 40. With them, with David Parker Ray and his crew, Oh, he has a crew. Yeah, he has a whole ass crew. And it's crazy because his daughter is involved. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm just going to jump right into the story. So this all takes place in New Mexico, right? Which New Mexico seems like a very interesting place, especially this area. This area was called Elephant Butte Lake. And so they were on the edge, the cusp of this national park with this ginormous lake called Elephant Butte. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, what's very interesting about Elephant Butte Lake is that it's very, very, very large. The lake is huge. The lake is freaking massive. But not only is it massive, they have these giant catfish that are the size of alligators that just do destroy shit they eat everything in the lake and on top of that the lake is filled with algae so you're talking about very deep very large very dense like you cannot see it yeah waters filled with like 50 pound catfish 50 pound catfish. yes and they're vicious catfish like they're not cute little cat fish <laughs> like kittens <laughs> kitten fish they're not kitten fish they're catfish mm-hmm. and so in new mexico um elephant butte lake they have about 700 households 700 to a thousand i think they've developed a lot more since the crime but mm-hmm. they don't really have a lot of houses there they don't really have a lot of like a huge population mm-hmm. and nothing really happens there you know you would think because 
they are on the cusp of this giant national park. You would think maybe there's a lot of crime. Maybe there's a lot of kidnapping. Sounds like the setting of a crazy Netflix docuseries. But really, it just, there wasn't. There wasn't much crime because the average household income was around Mm $30,000. And so all of the neighbors were kind of on this living basis of like, there's nothing to steal anyway. So no one's really going to commit these crimes. And so to everyone's shocker, in March of 12th of 1999, Mm-hmm. There was a 22-year-old girl by the name of Cynthia Virgil. Now, this is where it gets fucked up, okay? Cynthia Virgil was a prostitute. Okay. And even after all of this happens, and even after people find out that David Parker Ray is the man who he is, mm-hmm. people really dismiss a lot of the things that Cynthia had to say because she's a prostitute. But yes, let's go to March 12th. Okay, so March 12th in this tiny, tiny little town, this quiet town filled with trailers and houses. Cynthia is butt naked and she has this chain just padlocked onto her neck like it's like a collar. And she's running through this town completely nude, like 3 p.m. I think it was 3.15 p.m. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she's running, running, running. She sees cars on the road. And mind you, there's not going to be a lot of cars. This is not the 405, okay? This is a very, very deserted area. The ch- you mean you mean she has a collar attached to a chain that's just hanging off her body? Or? Yeah, and she can't get it off because okay. it's padlocked to her neck. Okay. And so she's running on this dirt road. And it's very intriguing because cars do end up passing her. And she, you can tell that she's been through stuff. Like the way that the police describe and everybody describes how she was running through in the middle of the afternoon. This is not a psychotic woman. This is not a woman who's just lost her brains and she's just, you know, dealing with some stuff. This is someone who's been through some shit. And so cars pass her one by one. And later we find the drivers of those cars and they said, you know, I just thought she was kind of a nut job. I was scared of her actually. It and is she scary was yeah. To see that, she's yeah. trying to wave them down. She's frantically screaming for help, 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 trying to wave them down. Nobody yeah. stops. And she has to run, run, run until she gets to the next trailer because like I said, it's a lot of land, not a lot of houses. And so she finally finds a trailer and she knocks on the door and she just pushes open the door because it was unlocked. And there was an owner home and she's like, what the fuck is going on? What what are you doing? And she goes, please, please keep me safe. Please, please call 911. Call 911. Please, please. Uh And so the owner calls 911. I mean, I, I, there's a lady here. I, she says she's been assaulted. I don't know what's going on. She's butt naked. I mean, she has like this chain on. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And so the right. police say, okay, what's your address? We'll be right there. Now, what's interesting is that maybe 20 minutes prior to this, a couple blocks away, the police had gotten a 911 call mm-hmm. and it had hung up the minute that dispatch had picked up the phone. Okay. Now, in a small town like this, what are the chances and so they immediately looked into it, and that first phone call to 911 that was hung up on mm-hmm. came from David Parker Ray's residence. Oh, so they did they look into it right away? Yes. or Okay. And I'm just going to kind of start with David Parker Ray. So that's kind of how he got caught, but mm-hmm. that's probably the most anticlimactic part of this story. I so that was the day that he got, he got caught. caught. Got it. Yes, but he did this for, I want to say, close to 40 years. Yeah. How old is he? 60s? Like 50-something. What's crazy is that he started young. So his early life is interesting. And what's interesting is that you were saying something about this previously. He was talking about, my fiance was talking about how when you look at criminals, he was 
you want to explain? What do you mean? Oh, when, yeah, when, when the psychology you're talking about, of the early life. Yeah, yeah. They say for all the all the criminals, it always comes down to their early life because, you know. Yeah, a lot. Almost majority of them can be traced to their early childhood. So you think almost every criminal has some weird trickle effect, like when they're in their. Yeah, they so so they they were saying you know I'm I've been like reading a lot into this. They were saying basically, um, it's like you know when you're born. <laughs> when, when, when you're born, you know some people can have more characteristic to become a criminal, and your personality became um, loads the gun. Does that make、oh. sense? You can be born as a weapon. You're more likely to、um, be a criminal than somebody so, else, and then、yeah. your personality became loads the gun, and those past events that you experience when you're young can become the trigger point. Okay, so you're saying. When people are born, you're either a gun,、yeah. a knife, a teddy bear, sure, sure, a couch, sure, yeah. And so, when your life in your early childhood, they start loading bullets in, which is probably trauma, abuse, or any sim like things like that. Maybe, for example, is that yeah, what you're trying no, to say? No, those those are they say those are actually more like triggering.、Mm. Those are triggers. Oh, they're triggers. They're not、yeah. bullets that they're loading into the gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I think it's more generic. Like how your race, your surrounding, all of those could be the.、Um, okay. You know that the, makes sense for me because sometimes I get into this habit of comparing criminals、mm-hmm. when I hear about their early childhood. I'm like,、yeah. well, there's a lot of people who are abused as kids. You know that doesn't make any sense. But、right. I get it now if it's like, okay, maybe this person was born a gun, whereas the other person it was just a teddy bear, and they put bullets into a teddy bear. Yeah. Versus, they put bullets into a gun. Right, right, right. Okay, that helps me visualize it. And so, David Parker Ray was born a gun, then probably a machine gun, like an assault rifle. And assault is really the correct term for it because I mean, it just gets freaking nuts. So he was born to two parents, Cecil and Nettie, I believe was his mother's name. And what's interesting about them is there's so many rumors about his dad, and I can't even pinpoint where these rumors started. So if you just look at the basic research of like freaking Wikipedia and like. A couple documentaries, right?、Mm-hmm. They always say his dad was a raging alcoholic. He beat the shit out of him on a daily basis.、Mm-hmm. And then when he was around ten years old, his dad was like, "I can't take care of you anymore," and dropped them off at his grandparents or his parents' house, right?、Mm-hmm. But there are rumors、mm-hmm. that his dad, before he just completely abandoned his son,、mm-hmm. was. Um, very into showing his son heavy amounts of heavy pornography, like really intense, violent porn. Just showing him that. Yeah, just showing him, or like watching it on TV, and it's just like right、Playing、in front in of、background. him. Yeah. How is that told by him or? No, these are just rumors. Okay. By people who knew his dad back in the day,、uh, and so I mean, none of these are confirmed. But I mean, I wouldn't put it past all of it because it just gets even crazier.、Yeah. And so he has a little sister by the name of Peggy, who's really not into the story too much. And so she's eight years old, and David is ten years old when they get dropped off at their grandparents' house. And、mm-hmm. these are Cecil, his dad's parents. Okay. And it says that his. This is another rumor. There's so many rumors about his childhood that his grandma abused him、mm-hmm. sexually. Wow! And that you know, there's this very strong rumor that his grandma couldn't 
couldn't get excited about life and things mm -hmm. if she wasn't beat. And so she would make her 10-year-old grandson beat her. That's a big rumor. That's, yeah. a, that's a very specific rumor. Yeah. So, I mean, that's why a lot of people that have heard of this rumor kind of think it's true. But then also speaking yeah. on the fact that this is his dad's mom, maybe that's why his dad was so messed up. Got and then it. it transferred to David Parker Ray, right? Got it. And so his dad moves away. His mom moves away. He's living with his grandparents. His grandma seems very, very strange. His grandpa mm -hmm. is even stranger. He's super, super religious to the point where he has these crazy expectations from both the kids. And if they fail to meet these expectations, mm -hmm. he just slaps them around in front of everyone. Like mm -hmm. he's not even the type. Like my mom's the type that's like, hey, just you wait till we get in the car. Like I'm not going to do yeah. it in front of people. But like she gives me those eyes, but yeah. not his granddaughter, not his grandfather. He would just mm -hmm. beat him in front of everyone. And so then this caused this very odd trickle effect where he became bullied at school. He was very, very tall for his age and mm -hmm. super skinny. And yeah. I know that's like the thing right now with e-boys and TikTok, but it wasn't back then. <laughs> Yeah, it really wasn't. And so he got hella bullied. And okay. so he got beat up at school. Because he's tall and skinny. And yeah, and just like looks like a, yeah. Kind of like, sad looking maybe. Yeah, kind of like sad looking. And I'm sure he was very, very strange because mm -hmm. Peggy, his younger sister, remembers finding mm -hmm. a lot of graphic, violent porn in his room by the time that he was 13 years old. That's and your reaction? she <laughs> is okay. She she's fine. I don't know how fine she is, but she's not arrested. I Got don't think it. she's in jail. Okay. I don't think so. Wow. And so it seems like from a young young age he was into stuff like that, and yeah. so he really couldn't get off on anything that wasn't heavy amounts of bondage, heavy amounts of BDSM, and to be super specific. So I feel like the world of BDSM is very broad, but he liked sadomasochism, which if you look it up, sadomasochism is when you can't get off without inflicting pain mm. and it's not like cute pain like it's mm. not like ooh spank like it's like very like they want to see you actually in a lot of pain crying that's still bdsm yeah and huh. so there's the other half of it where it's called masochism where people like to be in pain mm. and so when these perfect halves per se meet each other it becomes you know, a fully consensual BDSM relationship. I wonder how many um, <laughs> accidents happened during the... Um, yeah. Anyways. Oh, gosh. And so he was into this at a super young age. Allegedly, he bragged to a lot of his like high school friends that he started killing at the age of 14. He said, listen, you'll never guess what I did the other day. Now, this is where it gets weird. When you are 14 and in school, you like to brag about things. I mean, maybe you like to brag about your Gucci belt or this or that. But I guess where he lived, they like to brag about crimes. And so he would brag to all of his friends saying, guess what I did last weekend? So I found this girl riding a bike. And I decided, you know what, I'm just going to say hi to her. Mm -hmm. So we started talking and she thought I was cute. So we started walking in the woods, just like a late night woods walk. And what she didn't know was that in my backpack, I had rope. I had tweezers. I had pliers. I had all these things. And so I tied her up to a tree. I assaulted her and then I tortured her because I really like when they cry. And then I killed her. And that was when he was 14. So that's why, you know, the FBI and everyone's like, I, they don't even know how many victims there are. But 
you think that's true? Yeah. I mean, they didn't find any girl's body, nothing. They found out later. Oh, they did find the girl. No, but like nobody told. Mm. So none of his friends alerted the police or anything like that. Okay. It's just a small town that, that nobody does anything. Yeah. Nobody, no police. Not really. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, that was kind of his early teenage life. And he got married super quick. He was married twice in and out of marriages. And then finally, when he was 27 years old, mm-hmm. he met his third wife by the name of Glenda. I keep wanting to call her Glendale, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Glenda, who was 18 years old and he was 27. And so they have this daughter by the the name of Glenda Jean Ray, but she's going to go by Jesse. So if you guys are any familiar with this case at all, you guys immediately recognize the name Jesse because Jesse, the daughter, is uh-huh. going to be heavily involved in all of the crimes. It gets real nasty. It oh gets real gosh. confusing. I mean, there are certain parts of this story where they all start like group dating each other. I mean, it's so weird. Okay. And so, you know, when his daughter, Jesse, becomes three years old, he's uh-huh. like, listen, I'm bored. I'm not used to this life. I'm used to being on the high road, killing people, mm-hmm. maybe on the highway, doing this, doing that, assaulting women. Like, I don't want to be a dad. So, so what is he, his whole, whole spiel? Is he trying to kill people or he's trying to assault people? He's just trying to assault people. Okay. That's how he gets off. And okay. it's just... He is a firm believer in slave master relationships and he likes to be the master. And later I'm going to read you the transcript of his audio. Okay. So his, his whole thing is he's driven by sex. Yes. But of the most violent kind that very few people will consent to, including his wives. Got it. You know? And so he gets really, really bored when his daughter turns three. And so he decides, you know what? I'm going to just join the freaking hippies (laughs) and I'm going to start hitchhiking all over New Mexico. And so he up and leaves his third wife and his daughter, his three-year-old daughter. And he starts hitchhiking with another hippie by the name of Sally. Now, Sally, some people say either she's the second victim Uh or the 10th victim. Like they truly don't know. And so Sally was super young too. I think she was like 17 or something. And so Mm -hmm. she loses her virginity to David Parker Ray and she falls pregnant. And so they're like hippies back in the day, they used to move in groups. So they're moving all over, you Mm -hmm. know, New Mexico in groups. Mm -hmm. And everyone in the group realized one day that Sally just was gone. Like her, all of her possessions, all of her things, all of her bags, her clothes, Mm -hmm. just gone. And so they asked David because they kind of knew they were dating. Like what happened to Sally? Like everything okay? Yeah. And he said, oh, you know, Sally, like she just, she's a free spirit. She likes to do her own thing. So I think she went to a different town. And because they're hippies and because that's what they do, nobody had any reason to not believe him. And so he gets sick of the hippie life after another year or two and he moves back in with his third wife and Uh then it doesn't work out. And then he gets married two more times and he decided, okay, maybe this area, Albuquerque, New Mexico is not for me. I'm just going to move to Elephant Lake. And that's when he moved to Elephant Butte Lake, New Mexico. Mm. And he started becoming a mechanic. So he starts fixing all these cars, these sailboats. And eventually he saved up and bought his own sailboat. And he would sail that shit on that lake 
so frequently to the point where he started making friends in the area, obviously. Mm -hmm. And they'd come onto the boat with him. And he bragged about how he knew where every square inch of the lake, like where where the catfish are, what area is deep, what area is, you know, shallow, Mm -hmm. what area gets, you know, tumultuous, like which area has the most algae. I -hmm. mean, there were literally 50 to 80 pound catfish all populating that fucking lake at the time. Mm. So it's a deep, it's large, it's opaque, it's algae field. Mm -hmm. And so the reputation was kind of just, it's a very mysterious area. And so he seemed like a very nice guy though. Like you Mm -hmm. would never get on a boat with some creep who says he knows every square inch of that lake unless you thought he was a super good person. And he really was. He's like the type of person people said in that town that if they saw a wounded cat or an animal or like even a deer that got hit by a car on the side of the dirt road, Mm -hmm. he would like take that wounded animal, go home and just heal the animal, like spend money on medicine. Yeah. And then let the animal go. How do you? Yeah. How do you think? What do you think about that? That is the one thing that was very weird for me, because when you hear about most serial killers, they killed a lot of animals when they were young. Right. And so it's usually a common trait that serial killers kill animals first before they move on to humans. Right. But that's the interesting thing about David Parker, right? He wasn't interested in killing. Uh, That wasn't his end game. Got it. So so the animal, he still cares for. Yeah. Little and, animals. Yeah. And then you'll find out that he somehow still cares for his daughter in some sick, twisted ass way that I don't understand. And so, <laughs> you know, there was even this one situation where his friends and all of him were on the boat mm-hmm. and they're looking around and the lake is just so deep and dark. And he says, hypothetically speaking, where would you dump a body in this lake? And all of the friends were like, oh, fucking I'd find the, you know, the deepest place and um, uh-huh. just dump. Oh, I'd probably like tie the body up to something like really heavy and then dump the body. Uh-huh. Oh, I could put it in like cement. Isn't that what people do in movies? Like they put cement on the feet uh-huh. and his friends are having that conversation and they're like, well, what, what about you, David? Right. Uh-huh. And he says, well, I'd probably cut the body open and then feed the fish and The reason that you do that is because bodies have a lot of gas in them. Uh And when they die, that gas needs Uh. to be released. And so I'd outgas the body. And then, because now you have an open wound, I'd put heavy stones into that wound and then sew it up with chicken wire. And then I would dump it into the lake. What is chicken wire? Chicken wire is like fencing for chickens like those like kind of uh, do you know what i'm talking about yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he said he would put stones inside because uh-huh. stones are found in lakes whereas a block of cement that's really random uh-huh. you know and if you put feet to a block of cement like if you because a lot of the times in movies what mm. they do is when the cement isn't hardened they'll put the feet in mm. so now your feet right. is cemented in but they, right. they might find pieces of flesh yeah but in this situation the catfish will finish everything and let's say for some reason the police have all of the money in the world to search this crazy lake they'd find stones and chicken wire which isn't that uncommon he gave a detailed explanation of everything Mm. and it was i've never seen that in a movie and i watch a lot of crime movies you know that's very thorough and detailed thinking right yeah and so all of his friends instead of being alarmed like what kind of fucking friends would not be alarmed Instead of being alarmed, they were like, wow, David has a lot of time to think. 
And they just <laughs> chalked it up to him being bored. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and so <laughs> he... While he's living in Elephant Butte Lake, he's studying the lake, he's doing this, he's doing that, and he gets really deep into the bondage community. And this is very, very, very pertinent information. So he becomes obsessed. He starts getting a lot of contacts in the underground bondage world, especially because back in the day, bondage was not a common thing. This is not the days of Fifty Shades of Grey where everyone's like, ooh, so cute. Like, I want to be Anastasia still. Like, nobody thought like that. Like, this is back in the day where it's like, you are going to hell because you're a sinner you know type of days <laughs> got it got it <laughs> and so you know he started getting all these contacts and he started studying and he started exhibiting very very alarming behavior so this is all rumored but okay. it said that once he arrived at elephant butte lake he started kidnapping young women especially underage girls which he said he had a preference for because of the anatomy it gets real gross. What, what, what do you mean preference? What's the preference? He prefers early teens. What is early teens? Like 12. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. And he would kidnap them uh-huh. and he would assault them for days and days and days. Is this is this facts or just rumors? This is right now rumors, but we're about to get into some hardcore facts. And okay. this is nothing compared to what the facts are. Yeah. And so this is kind of his start. Okay. And so he would kidnap and torture for days and days and days. Mm -hmm. And we know this because his daughter came forward to the FBI and told them this. No way. Yeah. Jesse. And so he would torture them, assault them. And he did some vile stuff. Like it's freaking nuts. Like even just looking at pictures of his toy box, you want to throw up. And he would then afterwards what would he do would he release them would he kill them Uh no (laughs) he would drive two hours Uh to the border Uh and drive into mexico and sell these girls that he just tortured oh my god to the sex trade in mexico and make money off of it yeah so because why because he thinks that's a that's smart Yeah, he thinks that if people start finding bodies laying around, it's going to be a whole investigation. If they never find people, why would they ever suspect it's David Parker Ray? It's just a missing case. It's just a missing person. And in New Mexico, Mm. you know, it's not the most uncommon area. Mm. It's not like someone's missing from fucking, I don't know, the Hamptons in New York. Right. You know, and so, yeah, he would drive down to Mexico and he would sell these girls. So it was just nightmare after nightmare for these victims. And that's also why there's really no set number on how many. Yes, they estimate around 80 people that he murdered, but how many victims in total of all of this. Right. And so 80 is a huge number for a serial killer. Right. Especially for someone where there's no bodies that are found. Yeah. And so so they have no names. Yeah. Wow. No names. Yeah, it's yeah. And so Jessie, Glenda, Glenda Jr., mm-hmm. um, she she just always loved her dad. That was just something that she had in her. She just never really thought her dad was weird. Mm-hmm. She started finding a lot of porn around the house at a young age. I mean, her dad really never tried to hide it, which mm-hmm. I think is really gross 
because like i'm in the boat where even seeing my parents kiss like makes me uh, like makes me want to (laughs) die yeah just kiss in general makes me want to (laughs) die and myself included (laughs) bits i would kill you i mean wait that's really not something i should say in a true crime podcast right right Right. Right. <laughs> and so at a young age, Jesse starts developing this craving for sadomasochism as well. So I guess it just fucking runs in the family, okay? Yeah. And she adores her father. And at 19 years old, she's living with her father and she feels like she's thriving. She's seeing her dad kidnap all of these women, torture these women, and then sell them to Mexico. I mean, this is not something that he tried his best to hide from her. He really didn't give a fuck if she knew. And so wow. she knew all of these things. And so the one time that it really really bothered her was when she was 19 years old Mm -hmm. she had helped her dad kidnap a prostitute Mm -hmm. by luring the prostitute into the car by saying yeah of course like we'll pay you just like come into the car and we'll just do some fun stuff and then we're gonna pay you right can you tell i don't know how these conversations go (laughs) and so she gets into the car it's probably just like that yeah Yeah. (laughs) and so she gets into the car and she starts getting tortured by them in the car yes they start like putting pliers on her nipples like just some crazy shit and mind you she's not drugged up like this is just pure torture and she started screaming and crying Uh and she fled she was able to escape and she ran away wow and that was the first time that Jesse was like, wait a second, is what I'm doing illegal? Like, this feels weird. Mm. Like, my dad says it's fine. It's just a kink that we have. It's just something that we like to do. But it's, And they do it together, yeah. father and daughter. Yeah. It's gross, yeah. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so she's like, huh, am I doing something wrong here? And so 19-year-old Jesse, she goes to the FBI and she tells them everything. And they're fucking shook okay she's saying we kidnapped girls together we tortured them is that the moment that he was caught no yeah mm -hmm, that gets crazy and so she's like yeah we kidnapped girls together we fucking torture them and then we've been selling them to slavery in mexico and my dad kept telling me like this is normal like these girls without us like they would have no lives they'd be so bored you know they they probably want it too it's part of the bdsm community where they act like they don't want it and they obviously they're in pain but they want it And so then the FBI, they're shook. Mm -hmm. They call in 46-year-old David at the time. And he's brought in and Mm -hmm. they start questioning him. Now, you would think that someone like this would be like, oh, I'm sorry. My 19-year-old daughter is just fucking Looney Tunes. She's just a little crazy. I don't know where she got this information. But now he starts to tell the FBI everything in graphic detail. He says, you know, I think it's even hard for me to to get off without thinking about murder. I just really love torturing people. There's just something about seeing a girl in pain that like, have you guys ever seen a girl in pain? No? Man, it's just something you, I can't even put into words how great it is. Like imagine you just, nothing excites you, but this one thing, that's that one thing for me. She has no, he has no chills. No, he has no chill at all. And so he goes into great detail all of for his love for pain and torture and BDSM. And then he walks out the door, a free man. What? Yeah, because there's no specific victim. There's no specific crime. There's like no evidence. Other so than what, his daughter what is that? The shit. FBI say, 
all right, that's a great story. Bye-bye. No, the FBI is like, we legally can't do anything. Like, our bosses won't let us do anything. Is that why he's so bossy? Yeah. There was nobody, no specific crime, no specific victim, no specific anything. That's insane. Okay. So, like, it's like if I walked into the FBI right now and said the same exact thing, unless there was a victim or something, they can't really arrest me. Right, right. Okay. So, they had to let him go. And so, he then proceeds for the next 13 years to get even ballsier. And this was kind of a pivoting moment for the entire family. Because you would think, you would think that maybe like, okay, if your daughter is ratting you out to the FBI, maybe you're not going to have a great father-daughter relationship. Yeah. But no, this was the moment that cemented that freaking relationship together. Jesse said, I am no longer going against my father. He's right. He didn't do anything illegal. Because then the FBI would have arrested him. Him. Of right. course, he, I knew I should have known my dad would never do anything illegal. He's a good person. And so they became even closer. And David got even ballsier because his idea is, listen, the FBI I already told them the shit that I do and they didn't arrest me. They didn't do jack shit. So I'm just going to take it to the next level. And so, you know, after all of that happened, they become very, very, very close. And if you hear a lot of witnesses, they'll say they're so uncomfortably close to the point where three years later, after the FBI ordeal, Jesse gives birth to a daughter. And um, the daughter gives birth and um, she was never seen around town with a boyfriend Oh, no. And so nobody knows, but rumor and speculation and kind of what everyone thinks is that it's David's biological kid. Yeah. And so now that they have this little family unit going on, they decide, why don't we amp things up a bit? Jesse, you're getting a little bit older. David's getting older. And isn't life about just spicing shit up? And so they invested in this 22-foot-long cargo trailer. And they wrote this sign inside. And that was a pivotal moment. And the sign said, Satan's Den. They installed an AC unit and they soundproofed it. They made it escape proof. It had a reinforced frame and it had a deadbolt lock. And that's just the beginning. They spent $100,000 on this toy box. Well, what is now called the toy box, which that's by the way. That's where the name came from. Yeah, this entire trailer is sitting in the FBI field office. I think it either in, I want to say New Mexico or Arizona. Why do I want to say Arizona? Is it is it a display or is it something um, for them to study? It's something for them to study. That's so crazy. like we can't go and see it, but yeah. That's where, that, that, that trailer is the toy box, That's right? That's the toy box. Because inside of that toy box, they had so much shit. They were really organized, which is kind of creepy. And so on one wall, they had just so many tools. They had syringes, chemicals. They had these whips and these scalpels, like the doctor's scalpels. They had different types of chains. They had these makeshift, I don't even know what to call them. They're like poles, Mm. like bars, right? And then they melted chains onto different lengths of them to spread the ankles apart and there it's was really graphic yeah and they had different ones that were 
labeled like they said 22 inch this one's this inch this inch and this inch and they had weights they had pliers they had pulleys and the I think the three worst things that I saw in there and I read about was they had a coffin yeah they had a coffin in there okay mm-hmm. and that coffin was like built into the trailer and you would be crawling in that coffin and it had these holes in it for them to torture you through. Wait, they, they put the victim in the coffin? Yeah, but the victim's alive. And what do they do with that? They either torture the victim while they're inside or they just put the victim in there just to kind of fuck with their head. Uh-huh. Because, you know, when you're in a situation like that and you see a coffin, you're probably not going to be like, oh, that's art. Yeah. It's just decoration, you know? Yeah. And the second thing that was very weird is that they had an electrocution system. And so they would oh, electrocute shit. different parts of the victim's limbs, oh. which I feel like we've already done a mukbang on this talking about people getting electrocuted. And it's just the most insane stuff ever. Yeah. Yeah. And somehow they were able to find and purchase a medical grade gynecology chair. Which is what? I have no idea what that means. It's like, oh yeah, you don't. Okay. (laughs) So like a gynecology chair is the ones at the gynecologist's office and it has these, these like ankle placements. Mm -hmm. So imagine like a regular medical bed but mm-hmm. it's got like ankle placements. Is it like those workout machines that you work out your glute? You put your leg, you're trying to move your No, it's like knees? just like spreading your ankles. Ah. Uh, so that the doctor can like look at you. Ah. Uh, where they need to look at you. Yeah. They need that to look at it? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. And then also it's like angled in a certain way because if you're like sitting, then they can't really see. So mm-hmm. it's like kind of like angled up ish almost. Do you feel uncomfortable? going there and doing all of that is that is it do you guys feel very comfortable is it i mean i feel comfortable and uncomfortable like i feel very comfortable talking about Mm. like when they ask me questions and stuff yeah or like just being honest with my sexual history and stuff like that but Mm. i don't feel comfortable when they have to like stick shit in there and then they're just like having a casual conversation with you while they're doing it and yeah, then, like you really yeah. want to do that bullshit thing that everyone says to do, but like you know it's the most corny shit ever, which like is what? to be like, oh, please buy me dinner first, <laughs> and then you're like, don't oh do it, God. don't do it. Like I'm sure they hear this, but like twenty five thousand people in their career, don't do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, don't you think it's also kind of creepy if they're just completely silent? Yeah, I guess so. So they're just kind of like, how's your day? Boop. Yeah. What and did you eat like, last I'm night? Good. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then on the walls, there was drawings of methods of just torture, various women getting tortured, and they were just very, very graphic. And on top of that, they had CCTV throughout the entire trailer. Is that for security purposes, you're wondering? Oh, wow. Is David Parker Ray worried that the police are going to show up and he just wants to keep an eye out? No. They were inside the trailer because he wanted to video record all of the torture happening. So they have, he has cameras installed all inside the trailer. Yes. Got it. And what's even creepier is that he had a giant mirror on top of the gynecology table because oh. he wanted his victims to see what was happening to them. Boy. And he would punish you more if you didn't stare into the mirror 
to see the torture. That was the way that he tortured them. And he would keep these victims up to three days. And sometimes, if he really liked them, up to three weeks. And he would just torture them non-fucking-stop. Which, again, I know what you're thinking. I already see it. I see your brain working, honey. I see your little brain cells forming together to create a thought of, what do you mean keep them? What does he do with them after? Do they go to Mexico, right? Yeah. No, a lot of them go back home. So, so he releases them after. Yes. By But brainwashing them. What do you mean? Yeah. I'm going to tell you guys about the actual method of how he does everything right now, okay? And so the method that he does is the way that he abducts it. Really, he just kind of has a system. He has a protocol. He's a very routine-driven person. He likes variety. He likes new things. But he also loves a good routine. And so his routine was that he would abduct, abduct these women at the side of a road, whether they're hitchhiking, which was popular at the time, or their car broke down, they're riding a bike, it broke down, or at a bar like really, really drunk girls at a bar or by luring in a prostitute, by talking to the local pimps and saying, listen, I want a girl. Mm -hmm. This is the service I want. This is how much I'll pay. And then he'll be like, okay, tell her to meet me in that van. And then he'll just drive away. So he cared about a well-fit young woman. So he's no longer after 12-year-olds. No, yeah, he is. Oh, yeah. okay. Sorry. And so then he would beat them and then they'd be blindfolded. He would drug them up. Uh-huh. And the scariest part is they'd be knocked out cold by the drugs and they would wake up strapped to that gynecology chair and they would open their eyes and the first things they would see when they'd look around is pictures of women getting tortured, torture devices like fucking chains, all of these crowbars hanging on the wall. Like that is not a good way to wake yeah, it's, up. It's, it's exactly like those horror movies. Yeah, and- yeah. And then, this is where it gets so freaking scary. Mm-hmm. He would play them a tape. So he got really, Like really, the freaking movies. Yes, he got so lazy. He said, listen, I'm so tired. I am so tired. I'm so tired of telling every girl, every time I kidnap them, what I'm going to do to them. But I need them to know what I'm going to do to them. But I don't want to tell them what I'm going to do to them because I'm so tired. I steal one like every week. I kidnap a girl every week. And every week I have to sit there and it's like an HR orientation and I'm just so tired of it. And so he developed this idea that he was going to record his own audio of uh-huh. a tape that he would play inside of that toy box the minute that the victims wake up. And he would be watching through the CCTV cameras from his house. So he knows when they wake up and when they come to. Wow. And so he would play them this 45-minute audiobook tape. <laughs> 45 minutes. That's a whole-ass fucking audiobook. That's a whole-ass podcast. He had his own podcast, okay? And, I mean, I cannot read you the whole transcript i read the whole transcript it's been released to the public and it is you read it or you listened to it i read it okay can you imagine if they have the original audio file okay but what did he say so i'm just gonna read the parts that really just kind of put all of the torture at the forefront of all of it because there's a lot of just i mean he talks a lot and (sighs) It's very okay. interesting because the first word he says is "hello, bitch." <laughs> like, but I know, I know, we're laughing, but in a very scary way. I'm yeah, sure, right? I know we're laughing <laughs> because I sound like a basic bitch when I say it. Yeah, yeah. But like, 
what is wrong with him? And so in the beginning. Hello, bitch. Probably not like that. No, probably not like that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so the beginning, he says stuff like, are you comfortable right now? I doubt it. Wrists and ankles chained. You're probably gagged, probably blindfolded. Are you disoriented and scared? Probably. And so he said, but for a little while, you need to get your shit together and listen to this tape because it's really relevant to your situation. I don't know the details of your Why is he doing this again? He's just, is it more mental fucking fuckery to the girls? Yeah, and he wants to tell them to behave. This is his Mm. biggest pet peeve. He said, listen, I don't know the details of your capture because this tape is being created July 23rd, 1993 as a general advisory tape for future female captives. If at a future date there are any major changes in our procedure, this tape will be upgraded. Like, it just sounds so weird and professional, no? That's so freaking weird. Why is that information relative? I don't even know. It's just so weird. And he said, now you're here against your will, totally helpless. And you don't know where you are at all. And you don't know what's going to happen to you. You're probably thinking that you're going to be raped. And you sure as hell are in every hole. What the fuck? Yeah, he's laughing because it's that dark. Sorry. <laughs> he's like, in every hole. Yeah. Like he's really oh just that twisted. Okay. And so then there is this age part that I thought was just so creepy. And this is the part where we learn that he has a thing for young teenagers, right? And especially because most of these victims, after they were released, mm-hmm. they still don't know if they were a victim of David Parker Ray. And so nobody knows really what his age target group was. But this tape says, for our purposes, we like to snatch girls in the early to mid-teens, sexually developed but still small-bodied, and usually they're scared, shitless, easy to handle, and to train. And so it just, it like really irks me. This is, it just, and he's so heartless. I don't even like just reading this transcript in the first person. Like it bothers me. Yeah. And so this is where the heartless part comes in. And I think this is why I'm sure there was kind of a satisfaction coming from playing that audio tape for them. But this is kind of, I think, why he made this tape, which is, listen, you might be married. You might have a kid. You might have two kids, a boyfriend, a girlfriend. I don't know, a job, a car payment. Fucking I don't care. I don't give a rat's ass about any of that. And I never want to hear about it. If I killed every bitch that we kidnapped, there would be bodies strung all over the country. And so it's just kind of like he starts going on this rant about how there's going to be punishments if they don't call him master, if they don't do this, if they don't do that. He said, you know, I'm not here to just make you an animal like I'm going to hurt you a lot. But if you need to pee, let me know, because I don't want you to be dirty. You'll be showered. I mean, you're just my sex slave. Like he's saying just what the fuck stuff. Like it's almost like he's patting himself on the back in the tape, like the transcript. It almost sounds like he's like, listen, I just want you to be my sex slave against your will. I'm not like that evil. I'm going to let you shower. That's insane. So yeah. he's, he, he just wants to do these things to the girls mm-hmm. to his liking and the mm-hmm. tape supposed to make them understand. Yeah. And then he says, I mean... A lot of it is going to be painful. Most of it's going to be painful because I have this thing where I can't get off unless there's pain. And then the German Shepherd comes to play. He says, okay, so a lot of the times I throw parties and a lot of my BDSM friends will come over and they'll all take turns, but they're all basic. 
they just probably will, you know, assault you here and there. But nothing. Wait, wait, wait. so he brings more people? Like just his friends once in a while to have a party. Not so into the toy more box. Pe- oh. Anyone who enters the toy box is an accomplice or a victim. But to the house. Okay. And um, they'll have these parties. And his friends will assault you, but they're basic. They don't like to inflict as much pain as I do. So that shouldn't be too hard for you. Now, some people don't like this. Most of the girls hate this. But once in a while, he will. It's so gross. Are you still reading the transcript right now? or? I mean, a lot of this is paraphrased. Okay. Yeah. But these are all things he said. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he just goes way too graphic into detail. And the language he uses, just like, I can't repeat it. Do you want me to read it? No. Okay. I don't want to hear you say what it. What is it? What is it? He he just, he, he talks about how he's going to, he's going to put this canine breeding gel onto their areas. And he has this giant German shepherd. Oh, boy. And... He's, he even describes what the other girls said it felt like, which is baseballs. Oh. And yeah, I know. I told you. I told you. He said, let me read it. And then I say one thing. And go, oh, <laughs> yeah. No, it's really, 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 really dark. Like the way he describes things is just so dark. And so just imagine the fear of these girls when they wake up already so scared. And he's just casually explaining the world of pain that they're about to be in. And just in the most sick and twisted ways too. It's not even just like, you're going to be in a lot of pain. It's like, also I have a dog. Like it's just, it gets so fucking weird. And so he starts talking about how. It's way more scary when, when, when he plays this tape. Yeah. 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 Okay. And so he starts talking about how the dog. Yeah. How long? He's gonna bring a dog. Yeah. How long the dog lasts? How he thinks it's so fun and funny. He just likes watching it. And then he said, "But I also really like other things, like um, oral sex." And he says, "Well, I have a very particular way that I like it." And I'm going to teach you how to do it. And I know you're going to be really tempted. Like he literally said that. Like you're just going to want to do it. But don't. Mm-hmm. You're going to want to bite me. Mm-hmm. And I suggest you don't. Because I will cut off your nipple. And if it's a really bad bite, I'll cut off an entire boob. That's a very, I mean, it's it's a very specific threat, right? Yeah. Like I... I think I'd be scared to be cut off any body parts, but as a woman, does that kind of... Yeah, it makes me shudder. Like, it's... Yeah, it's so specific that I feel like I wouldn't be like, you're bluffing, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially if you're already in that setting. And so, the part where he talks about, listen, you're going to be released. I mean, I don't want to kill you. Like, he even says, like, I don't want to kill you. That's not what I get off on. That's not my end goal. I don't want you to die. And I'm I'm glad. And I'm sure you're glad that you're not going to die as long as you behave. Mm. And the way that we're going to do this is, he says, this is direct quotes, a combination of sodium pentothal and phenobarbital, which are both hypnotic drugs that will make you extremely susceptible susceptible okay (laughs) fuck extremely yeah you get it 
to mm-hmm. hypnosis, auto-hypnosis, and hypnotic suggestion. You're going to be kept drugged up for a couple days while we play with your mind. By the time you're done being brainwashed, you won't remember a fucking thing about this little adventure. Is that true? Yeah. It is true? It is true. Like what he's about to do? Like yeah. It does brainwash them? Mm-hmm. So they don't remember the whole experience. They just, they get dumped on the side of the road uh-huh. and they are in so much pain and they uh-huh. have no idea what happened. And so they, one victim was found. Yeah. And she, she had just fucking therapy on therapy on therapy. She lost her husband therapy because she remembers everything or she there she's fucked up she's fucked up she doesn't remember anything but like imagine waking up and you're sore down there and everywhere right right right. like you know something happened to you you don't think nothing happened but what the heck happened and like how like i'm sure there's a lot of self blame because how could you let this happen how could you just not remember what happened to you why can't you freaking remember it and like you probably get really upset with yourself and so you know another quote that i found very interesting was that he says this forced into this is kind of a hard pill to swallow for you guys but just so you know i don't believe a single thing you're gonna say whatever you do whatever you promise i don't believe it Girls mm-hmm. promise me ransom money. They say, you know, their parents have money. They say, oh, no, I like it. Just take off the chain and I'll do whatever you want. I kind of wonder which scam you're going to try to pull. But trust me, I'm not going to believe a single word. It's like the biggest nightmare, you yeah. know. It's like they end all your hope. and Yeah. It's like they shut down any option that you might think you have in a situation where you already have no options. Yeah. And then he ends it with... Be docile and obedient and by all means. Be what? Docile. What's that? It's like calm, quiet. Got it. And obedient and by all means, show some proper respect and have a nice day. This is, this is some, I don't even think horror movie they do with this. Yeah. Damn. Okay. So now we're going to bring in the other characters, okay? So he's doing this with his daughter. And they start bringing in more people into their crew, which is kind of hard to believe, but they do. And so the first initiative was Roy Yancey. He's this dude who was fresh out the Navy. He was, before he went to the Navy, he was part of the satanic cult during high school. And they did highly organized crimes. They killed lots of people's pets, which is really weird. And... Police just couldn't confirm what the hell was going on with Roy Yancey. And so finally he decides, I need to get my shit together before I get into some big trouble. So Mm -hmm. he joins the Navy and he gets out and he decides, I'm going to walk the straight and narrow. I'm going to go back home Mm -hmm. and I'm just going to just be by the books. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to marry a woman. I'm not going to I'm not going to fall into satanic cults anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do any of that. Mm -hmm. And then he goes to a bar. And he befriends someone by the name of Jesse. And they become best friends. And Jesse's into Satanism. She's kind of into it. She likes it. She thinks it's dark. She thinks it's part of BDSM. She kind of gets off on it, okay? And so they start bonding over it. And really, Jesse pulled Roy into the BDSM world. Mm-hmm. And they also meet another guy by the name of Kenneth Lee, who's 43 years old at the same bar. And he was kind of like their drug dealer. 
So they would go to Kenneth's house and Kenneth would give them drugs and they would do drugs together. And then one day, Kenneth's neighbor said, oh God, what is that smell? Mm -hmm. What's that? Do you guys smell that smell? And mm-hmm. so they were like, I don't know what that smell is. And so they called the police and they were like, listen, I don't know what my neighbors are doing, but this fucking smell. They called it. Yeah. <laughs> they said, listen, 911, this smell. <laughs> and so 911 comes and they break into Kenneth's apartment where the smell was coming from. And they, they're doing a wellness check. And they see black candles. They see drawings of Satan. They see bolts and screws everywhere. Uh-huh. And then in the living room, they see Kenneth Lee's body. His stomach was cut open, and there was bolts and screws placed inside, and there was a doorknob that was lodged into his rectum. Oh, my God. Jesus. Also, he's a nervous laugher. Sorry, I just feel like if you don't know him, he sounds like he's a serial killer. My fiance right now, Mr. Ringabut. A bitch but he's a nervous laugher yeah it's yeah. very graphic you know yeah yeah it's like a world of just uh, anyways yeah true crime's a wild world yeah and then <laughs> the crazy thing is that the police ruled this a suicide <laughs> <laughs> these police <laughs> the fucking police and so that kind of ended there nobody really brought ties back to roy they never brought it back to jesse and then back to david parker ray the police were just like it must be a suicide i mean why why do you think they did that to him what do you mean why did they kill him they like killing people it seems oh yeah they got okay got it yeah those two are weird so david parker ray is more into assault it seems like jesse kind of likes power control i think she mainly facilitated this as a way of making roy someone that has to be with her Mm. because if you guys do this together you know it's like this big secret that you guys have this big connection that you guys does she like him or it seems like they were on and off dating Mm. and so then roy gets a call one day and he picks up and it's his ex-girlfriend marie Mm -hmm. and they were really close at the point that they were dating like they were really like they ended on good terms like they weren't like the type that was just shady ex exes right yeah and she calls and she says listen like this is so embarrassing but i'm homeless and i'm living in a tent right now on the shores of elephant pew lake and i just like i don't know what to do Mm -hmm. just wondering what you're doing and he said oh i'm not really doing much and he said but i can't really help you but i have some drugs she said, really? You, you'd share them with me? Like, I don't have money. And he says, yeah. You're my mm. ex-girlfriend, of course. So she says, oh, okay. Um, do you want to come pick me up? I don't have a car. So he goes, yeah, yeah, I'll come pick you up. Where are you? And so he drives to Elephant Butte Lake with David Parker, Ray, and Jesse. And she gets into the back of the van. And she gets beaten. And she wakes up inside the toy box. And they sp- she spent three whole days inside the toy box. Now, was she released back to her tent? No, because Marie was a really loving soul. And there was a lot of people looking for her to the point where the police facilitated this huge rescue plan. They were searching all through Elephant Butte Lake. They were searching here. They were searching there. They were searching this. And they couldn't find her. And the local community was just obsessed over finding Marie. 
And so at this point, they said, we can't return her. Like, what if she remembers? What if she remembers that the last thing she did was get into a car with fucking Roy Yancey? And so they bring Roy into the toy room, the toy box room, and they give him a rope. Mm -hmm. And they said, you know what you have to do? And they clicked record. And he strangled her. And she died. So the main main reason they decided to kill her because she knew all of them personally. Mm-hmm. And people were looking for her. But what about, okay. Yeah. So I think their plan was if it wasn't that big of a commotion by the local community, yeah. they could return her. And there's no evidence that Roy was involved. If she said anything, he could be like, that's my crazy ex-girlfriend. Mm-hmm. She's psychotic. But because there's evidence that people were looking for her for three days, you know, she is missing. Yeah. And so he strangled his ex-girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah insane and then the fbi believes that film itself was sold as a snuff film which is a real life crime that's the murder film yeah boy yeah i'm gonna drink some water because it's a lot of information to breathe in and also speaking of snuff films hold on to this info while i drink water is that all of the recordings that they had of all the girls they the fbi uncovered hundreds of tapes by the way all of their faces and anything that they could identify these victims with were completely covered. And they recorded a bunch of tapes. Like like they cover it Mm -hmm. in real life. Yeah, so they couldn't find out who these victims were. And a lot of people suspect, the FBI suspects, that a lot of the tapes were sold to people in the BDSM community. So this is one of those cases where this crime happened, but you also ask yourself the question, how many people saw these videos? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Now in comes Cindy. Cindy Hendy. So Roy and Jesse, after the murder, they moved away for like a year. And they started living with some friends. And they finally came back to Elephant Butte. They just kind of ran away because they were kind of scared, right? Because Roy was the one that was connected to Marie. Nobody else was. And so if they just kept hanging out, they just didn't want any thing to happen so they move away for a year and they come back and mm-hmm. they go to the same bar that they're obsessed with and they meet a woman by the name of cindy now cindy was already a runaway from washington state so she was mm-hmm. she had a rap sheet that was fucking long like it was just a long list of felony after felony after felony after felony and she was a wild child she started dating both of them she started dating jesse and roy hmm. um and they were kind of like a a thruple And then somehow David Parker Ray gets involved and they started having these parties that all four of them would attend. And it was just a free for all, like do whoever you please type of stuff. So I'm on the four. Yeah. Yeah. And then eventually Cindy started developing some intense feelings for David. Okay. And so she just really wanted to be exclusive with David. And so she moved into his house and she did everything like a dutiful housewife. So she started cooking. She started cleaning. She started doing this. And everyone in the community, like the local community, who still at this point have no idea that these people are just serial assaulters. They're just like, that's just weird. Like this family is a little weird. I think that he had his 
granddaughter with his daughter but then now he's dating his daughter's girlfriend and his daughter is dating a girl but now he's also dating the like could you just imagine like that would be the talk of the town and so people thought it was just so freaking strange and david felt like cindy was an equal not in the sense that she's that twisted not in the sense that she's just as crazy not in the sense that she's just as sadistic but she had this thing in her personality Mm -hmm. where she just wanted to please and so she could be perfectly molded into who David wanted his significant other to be because she had really no big ideas of her own. She Mm. really didn't have any moral code of her own where she was like, whoa, David, that's too far. I'll do this, but I'm not doing that. She didn't have any of that. She just was like, whatever you want, David, like I'm down. And so he would kind of seduce her more and more into liking these dark, dark things. And he didn't really necessarily want Cindy to be one of the slaves. He didn't want her to be a victim of the toy box. Mm -hmm. He wanted her to be a facilitator, to be someone who, in his mind, benefited from the toy box. And What does that mean? So she would get pleasure from the quote-unquote slaves. Yeah. Meaning she will also be a part of the torturing group? Yeah, he'll she'll torture them. Uh-huh. And um, later in the audio tape, he changed the audio tape to when Cindy came around. And it said things like, you know, you call her mistress. And mistress likes oral stuff like 10 times a day. And you have to do that. Oh, yeah. Got it. Yeah, really gross. And... Before all of that, before she really became a facilitator, he had to test her. He said, listen, I don't know if I can trust you. Like, maybe you say you're bad and shit, but can you really run with us? Like, are you actually bad? And so Cindy, one of her close friends from Washington was getting married. And so she's like, "Okay, listen, I have to go out of town for a wedding. I'm going to be gone for like three days. Not a big deal. And he's like, that's a big deal to me. Like, I'm just how do you expect me to live? Yeah. As a boyfriend, like. I'm just going to be so unsatisfied for three days. Like, you think that's fair? Mm -hmm. And so he's like, how can you leave me depraved for three full days? And so Mm -hmm. she's like, oh my God, you're right. I didn't even, I didn't even think about that. And so he's like, why don't you go find a girl for me? And so she's like, for three days? He's like, maybe three weeks, maybe three days. Wait, so at that point, is she, is she, does she know what's going on? Yeah, she knows what's going on. Yeah. And so she's like, I go find the girl myself. And Uh, he's like, you do it. Okay. And so she says, okay. And so she finds a prostitute, brings her in and he leaves an 18 page, no, an 18 step list of things she has to do to the girl. It's really intense. (laughs) Um, he was really, really thorough with his list. And it was really intense. He had he even put in rules to verbally abuse the girls. He said, while you're assaulting her, you have to say, you dumb bitch, you slut. I don't know why I feel so uncomfortable saying those words all of a sudden. Like, I say those to my friends endearingly all the time. Like, you dumb bitch. But, like, suddenly I can't say it. Suddenly I'm like, oh, God, that sounds so intense. Yeah. Um, And they were like written into specific steps. And a lot of these were just so freaking gross. Some of the steps included cutting down there. It wasn't going to kill them, but it would inflict a lot of pain. Uh And they said the first day that you kidnap a girl, always electroshock them because it just, it takes away all of their will to fight. And they become so much more just bland after they don't fight you as much. 
They said the first day is so important when you kidnap a girl because you never want to give them enough time to collect their thoughts. So for the first many hours, the most important thing is you have to keep abusing her aggressively. And she's going to struggle a lot because Mm -hmm. you're abusing her aggressively. And then she's going to be exhausted. And that's when the fun starts. Oh, my God. (sighs) Yeah. It seems like she doesn't like, like even in the updated audio, he says, if it were up to the mistress, we would keep you forever until the rest of your life. But I think variety is the spice of life is what he said. So Cindy's Mm. the type that's like, listen, why don't we just kidnap one girl and keep her forever as a slave? Like, why do we have to keep getting new girls? It's just so much riskier. Like, I don't want to get caught by the police. Mm. But he was like, nah, that's boring. Got it. But like, imagine that being your husband. Like, I dare a man that I'm dating to look me in the face and be like, I I don't think they're regular people. Yeah, I mean, but like, I just can't believe that she, (sighs) it's so hard because she later, when she gets caught, she makes it seem like David roped her into this. He just convinced her into this life. Mm-hmm. But then, like, I don't know. Like, she wasn't that young. To, to me, it doesn't make sense. To me, I don't think, I, I don't know. So that's the biggest question people have. Are these people victims? Because even the daughter, is the daughter a victim or not? Is Cindy a victim or not? Cindy and David, one day, they decide to go to Albuquerque. Now, this is going to be where everything downfalls, okay? They go to Albuquerque, and they want to look for their next victim. So they start talking to a local pimp, and they agree for $30 in exchange for services. Mm -hmm. So they're waiting in the van, and they see the prostitute approaching. Her name Mm -hmm. is Cynthia. From now on, I will refer to her as Cynthia. And Mm -hmm. so Cynthia approaches and she enters the rusty van. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, David decides, you know what? I'm just going to fuck around. I'm going to tell her that I'm law enforcement and I'm here to crack down. And so she gets scared. He thought that she'd be like, okay, okay, like it's fine. I'm just going to cooperate, you know? Mm-hmm. And she gets scared and she tries to run, but mm-hmm. she's overpowered by Cindy and David mm-hmm. and she wakes up in the toy box mm. and she's tortured. She goes through the same process. She listens to the 45 minute audiobook of just horrendousness. She goes through the same torture steps that they video record. Mm-hmm. And one day they said, Hey, bring the quote slave into the house. Sometimes they do that. They have chains connected to their beds and they Mm. keep the slave chained on the ground next to the bed. Jeez. Yeah. So that they don't have to keep, I don't know, I guess like walking to the trailer and um, she's chained to the bed and this was middle of the day. The next day Uh she woke up and Cindy was making breakfast or lunch or something. And David Uh was out of the house and she finds the keys to her chains just out of reach. Like, she could stretch what? and stretch and stretch and she would be able to get it. Uh-huh. But she has to be super fucking quiet. Otherwise, Cindy's going to come back and be like, what the heck, right? Yeah. And so she stretches, stretches and grabs the keys. Uh-huh. And just as she unchains herself from the bed, yeah. Cindy comes in. Oh my And there's God. a full force fight. So Cindy's fighting her. They're punching each other. They're grabbing each other's hair. They're throwing, like trying to grab things around the room. Uh And for some reason, there was a fucking ice pick, okay? (laughs) 
I don't know why. Okay. I know it's like New Mexico, but there was an ice pick. Uh huh. And so they grab. She grabs the ice pick. Who grabs it? Cynthia. Okay. And she stabs Cindy in the head. Cindy lives, but she stabs her in the head, uh-huh. and she tries to grab a phone and she calls nine one one. Uh-huh. She's like, no, it's too risky. Like either Cindy's gonna get up or David's gonna walk in. So she hangs up. Yeah. And that's the call that nine one one got. Right. And she runs out of the house and she starts running and running and running and running. Oh my god. And I am sure the fear is immense because she probably doesn't know where she is. On top of that, it's broad daylight, she's butt naked. And yeah. third, it's like, let's say a car stops. Who's to say it's not David? Yeah, yeah. And so she's running and running and running, trying to stop cars. None of them are stopping. She finds the closest trailer, barges in, asks them to call 911, and they do. And so then the police decide, okay, this is not a place where coincidences happen. This is not New York City where so many people are calling 911 at the same time. So when, when the police got the call, they immediately look into the first call too. Yes. Mm. And they show up. And they said, listen. We are a tiny little town of Elephant Butte. (laughs) Uh We need backup. And so they immediately call in the FBI. Uh And so then comes 100 investigators from the New Mexico police force, the local police force, and FBI. No freaking way. Yeah. Because when you were talking about a woman chained up by the neck, like some shit's going down. Like this ain't no cute little crime. Like this ain't no home burglary. A hundred. Yeah what yeah and this was i mean this wasn't immediately but this was like slowly over time like in like a week span but did they arrest them already by that time Mm -hmm. and so they're i mean they they weren't they didn't really put up a fight it wasn't a climactic arrest so they find zendy they find david they find jesse they find roy they find everyone and they arrest them okay? okay and it starts getting really 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 intense because there was um there was an FBI agent by the name of Patty Rust. Uh-huh. And all the FBI agents when they showed up, I mean they showed up as a flock, like a huge ass squad. Don't tell me he's the one that investigated him. No. Twenty no. years ago. She okay. um her main job is that she she's kind of like an inventory taker. Uh-huh. Um so at crime scenes, they collect all the evidence, yeah. but she's the type of person that will also sketch where they found that evidence in the room. Right. Um, she's also the one that does detailed reports on where each piece of evidence was. Mm-hmm. And with something like the toy box, you I mean, you're talking about so much evidence, right? Right. So her and a couple FBI agents, they walk into the toy box and immediately they're, they want to like throw up. It's just disgusting. Mm-hmm. And then they see the tape recorder and the monitor. Mm. And so they play a couple films. And they said, okay, I mean, I think all of these are exactly what we just saw. So let's bag them up for evidence. Mm-hmm. And the minute that all of them leave, I mean, there was news reporters everywhere at this point, right? The moment that they step out of the toy box, one of them just projectile vomited. Because it was just disgusting. I mean, and also, mind you, when you talk about FBI agents, I don't know about local police force. I'm sure they see so much more than civilians. But mm-hmm. when you talk about FBI agents, I mean, I think that they see the worst <laughs> yes. of the worst. Like, you are talking about people on a daily basis that seen, like, yes. they are the definition of they've seen some shit. Yeah. Yeah. And so one of them just projectile vomited, just like could not. Oh, my God. That's the girl? 
No. Oh. Because Patricia Rust, Patty Rust is her nickname. Patty oh, okay. Rust, she she had a really big job to do. By herself, she sketched out everything inside of the trailer so that if they ever lost anything or that the defense attorney couldn't be like, oh, that's not part of the evidence. You guys didn't follow protocol. She sketched every square inch of that trailer as evidence and spent five days in that trailer. And then that night she flew to El Paso, Texas is where Uh her family lives. Yeah. And took a revolver and ended her life. No. Yeah. Yeah. It was like that dark. I think that is just in itself, just like how dark it is, right? Yeah. I mean, she had like a family too that she flew to to go back home. But I think... I think it's one of those things they say that when you really see pure evil, because the other FBI agents, they know what happened, but they didn't sit there for five days sketching it out, like looking at these scalpels, these torture devices for five days straight. And I just feel like if I saw pure evil like that for that long, I don't know how I would live either. She still finished the job. She turned in all her papers before she took her life. That's number one. Yeah. She didn't leave in the middle. No. Number two is, I don't think I've ever heard any suicide. Yeah. In that scenario does that make any sense yeah like i've heard of suicides from for different reasons right like ptsd like after they leave the force right but this one is and i mean it's crazy because all of the evidence that she provided helped the case a lot and she finished it like she turned it in and then the videotapes so Uh the fbi they still had to go through every single videotape. So she was in charge of sketching out all of the torture devices, mm-hmm. describing them, writing about them, putting mm-hmm. in her full report of the toy box itself, right? Mm-hmm. But there was a group that had to go through all of the tapes, which there were a lot of tapes. And every single tape, there was nothing. There was nothing they could do. They couldn't find out who was in any of the tapes, they couldn't find anything. They couldn't find a face, a reflection, nothing. Other than the people they arrested, they can use it, uh-huh. but they want to find these victims. Uh-huh. They either want to find these victims alive and tell them, hey, listen, uh-huh. this is what happened, and we're going to help you through it. These are the resources that the government provides. We can put you in therapy, this and that. Yeah. Maybe you can get some sort of restitution, even though it wasn't like David Parker Ray was very rich or anything, you know, but... Yeah. They want to find these victims yeah. or maybe they had gone missing. Maybe this is closure for the family or maybe they could yeah. find the body, right? Yeah. Or maybe they have found bodies and it's a Jane Doe closed case in a morgue somewhere and they just don't know it yet. But nothing. They couldn't find anything except one video. There was a video. Uh-huh. Her whole face was covered, but she had a tattoo on her arm that wasn't like basic. It wasn't a basic like, live your life uh, Mm -hmm. a dragon none of those 
it was a very, very blurry, specific tattoo that they found. Uh-huh. So they enhanced the vid- the picture of that tattoo and they released it to the public. Oh and they said, if you know anyone with this tattoo, you've seen this tattoo. I mean, they sent it to like hospitals, morgues. If you see anyone with this tattoo, you know. Yeah. And a woman comes forward because at this point, this is just global news. Like this is not something that's just like, hey, New Mexico, like, have you seen this woman? Like this, everyone in the world is watching this. And a woman by the name of Kelly Van Cleve, she comes forward. And she said, I spent time in Elephant Butte Lake and I have three days that I don't know what happened to me. And ever since those three days, I've had depression. I've had anxiety. I don't know what happened. And they said, do you know any of these people? Uh And they showed her the pictures of the four that were arrested. Uh She said, oh my God, I know her. I I know Uh (laughs) Jesse. I... This is what they found out happened to her. And Jesse even admitted it. Uh-huh. Kelly went to a bar. And she had just married her husband. And she was having a really hard time with her husband. They were living with the husband's parents. Uh-huh. And it just was rough. It wasn't like the newlywed life she was expecting. And so she starts bonding with Jesse, who's around her age. And Jesse seems really cool. Uh-huh. And so Jesse's talking to her. And then after one really bad fight with her husband one night, she's like, hey, Jesse, like, can you just meet me at a bar? I... I just need a vent. Like, I'm just so, just so stressed. So Jesse's like, yeah, of course. And so she goes to the bar. They meet up and she has one beer. And it was drugged by Jesse. And so they end up staying till closing time. Mm -hmm. And she needs to go home back to her husband's parents' place where her husband is. Yeah. And she just doesn't know how to get home. Her ride had left. And so Jesse Mm -hmm. says, well, you can stay with my dad Mm -hmm. and me. She's like, yeah, okay, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. And so she gets into the car. She arrives at the dad's place. And she is held at knife point, drugged, wakes up in the toy box, and she's tortured for three days. Now, she doesn't remember anything that happened in those three days. Wow. There are videos of what happened that she saw. She saw her own tape? Yeah. She wanted to see what happened to her. And they dropped her off at her in-laws. And they knocked on the door. And David Parker Ray said, Hey, uh, she told me to bring her here. I found her on the beach wandering. Like, she seemed really drugged out. And her husband was like, What the fuck is wrong with you? You didn't even tell me you were going somewhere for three days? And the parents, that, that's not even her parents. Those are her in-laws. Yeah. They were just fuming because they thought she had gone on a binge, like a drug binge. Yeah. And so her husband annulled their marriage, kicked her out of the house. These were the only people she really knew in Elephant Butte Lake. And so yeah. she's kicked out with the few belongings she has. She yeah. is bleeding down there. She can't explain it. She has all of these injuries. She feels pain on every inch of her body. And she doesn't know what happened to her. She's like, I'm not the type to go on a drug binge, but that's what everyone says happened to me. How do I not remember that? Like, uh, I would remember that if I, like, wouldn't I at least remember if I said yes to drugs? Like, and then I forget everything. Like, I don't, I don't understand. Right. And so then she's like, I just need to start fresh. So she moves to Colorado. She gets remarried. Uh But even with her new husband, she doesn't know how to be intimate. 
So they have so many issues in their relationship in that department. And she refuses to let him see her naked. And he's like, why? We're married. And she's like, "I, I don't know. I just don't want you to. Wow. And so she has these crazy nightmares all the time. And she started going to therapy a lot. And she just had no idea what was happening to her until the FBI put out that picture. Do you think by realizing what happened helped her? Yeah. Because I think it takes away the self-blame. But that's also so graphic and so traumatizing. I think so, but sometimes I feel like as, I don't know, maybe it's a personal thing. I feel like I'd rather know. I feel like for me, the unknown in my brain always gets darker. That's true. But also I feel like as a girl, you might blame yourself a lot. Mm. And be like, why did I, what did I do wrong? Like, did That's I go to true. the bar too late? Like, I shouldn't have gone to the bar. That's but it's true. like not her fault that she went to the bar. It's yeah. these crazy okay. people, you know? And so the four were arrested. David Parker Ray, Jesse Ray, Roy Yancey, Cindy Hendy. And they were all facing 93 years in prison. And so David at that point started saying that every single woman, including Cynthia, was a willing participant. They're all part of the BDSM world. Everyone in those videos that you saw, they loved it. Like that's our lifestyle. Despite the fact that the footage shows that there's absolutely no consent. Like this footage is not the type of footage where you're like, oh, that's like 50 shades of gray. <laughs> Cute. It's like dark shit like i think the fbi can differentiate between an adult film versus true torture that i'm sure a lot of them have seen before yeah and so they're like that doesn't make any sense and on top of that literally the audio tapes that we found that you played to all the victims they don't you literally say you're here against your will and you're not gonna like it one bit right and so that's this is after the uh conviction yeah no this is when they get arrested and so then cindy confesses because she's facing 93 years in jail so Mm -hmm. she said david lured her into this stupid bondage fantasy like she still doesn't have any sort of remorse guilt or anything towards the victim she just says he just lured me into this stupid world and so she agreed to testify against david Mm -hmm. and she would tell all of the details of all of the crimes And she would also talk about all of the crimes that he told her about that she wasn't a part of before she came into the picture. Mm -hmm. And she said, oh, by the way, you know, Marie, the girl you guys were looking for, Roy killed her. What girl? The girl that they spent three days looking for. Roy killed her. And so then the FBI goes over to Roy's room, his interrogation room, and they say, listen, Tell us what happened. And so he confesses. He said, listen, it was David's idea. Listen, like, I swear to God. And they said, you killed her? Uh And he says, yeah. I mean, it's crazy because she wasn't dying fast enough. Like, I didn't know it would take that long. And yeah, I I couldn't say anything because they said if I told anyone, then they'd kill me. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And so then they go to Jesse and they start telling her to confess and she says, listen, that audio tape, <laughs> that's all for the, that's all part of it. Like, that's all part of the play. Like, that's how we do it. Right. And they're just like, these people are freaking crazy. And so they all lawyer up. Mm-hmm. And I think at this point is when David Parker Bray realized that his daughter was in a lot of trouble. 
because she's also arrested and she's also facing a lot of time in jail. Yeah. And so she goes, he goes to the prosecutors, David mm-hmm. Parker Ray, and he says, this is September in 2001, and he says, listen, I will plead guilty for 12 counts of kidnapping, criminal penetration, and conspiracy to kidnap mm-hmm. if you let my daughter go. Mm. And they agreed. Why? There's so much evidence. And so Jesse walked away with time served. So she probably only spent a year in jail. What? Roy Yancey accepted a plea deal. And this was in 2001. So he spent 10 years in prison and he was released on parole in 2011 as a free man. Cindy Hendy served half her sentence, never showed remorse. And last year, in 2019, she walked away a free woman. And then Roy? David Parker Ray. The police believe that he was responsible for, at the lower, like the most conservative scale, 30 people, but more than likely, 80. Death. Yes. Never convicted of any murders. What? Cindy Hendy even said to the FBI that they killed at least, since he told her that he killed at least one woman per year since he was 14. But they never found a single body. They couldn't even find Marie. They threw them into the pond. They think that even some of the women they witnessed being murdered. Because there were some women in the tapes Uh that they were abused beyond what the FBI believes they could have survived. But because again, no identification, no body, there's no evidence that they were murdered. It's just professional knowledge. But that can't serve as a conviction. And so he was sentenced to 223 years in prison. And so the day that he was formally sentenced to 223 years in prison, he walks into his jail cell Mm -hmm. and he dies of a heart attack. So he served less than one day of his formal sentence. What do you mean heart attack? He had a heart attack and died the first day of his formal sentence. Seriously? His day one of 223 years. Do you think so? That's what happened? Yeah, I mean, there was no one that seemed like, yeah. It's not like a Jeffrey (laughs) situation. Sorry, that's not funny. Okay, anyways, what? And so every single person but David Parker Ray, I mean, in my head and a lot of people's head, he walked free too because he didn't really get the punishment. Right. But everybody else that was alive, they all walked free right now. They're, They're all walking free, free right now. They're all free. And they all combined, they served around 34 years time in prison together. Combined. Holy That's shit. not each person spent 34 years. It's a combined total of around 34 years time. The daughter Jessie is out there. He, she never served. Yeah. 
I mean, she spent some time in jail before the trial, yeah. and that was considered time served. She never sent, she never like got any sort of charge. So she's probably walking around with like a clear rep, rap sheet too, like not. She's like literally, they're literally devils just walking around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All what happened to her? Do you know? No. They've all been laying low. Um, Roy Yancey was rumored to have like a Instagram at one point. I don't know if it's still up. Yeah, they're still out and about. So it really makes you think like who you run into in life. Right. Roy Yancey is still living in um, New Mexico in the city called Truth or Consequences. That's a city name. Truth or Consequences. Yeah. Well, I guess... But he didn't face any consequences. Right. So he chose truth and yeah. no consequences. Yeah. I don't even know what part of this case makes me the most angry, the most mind blown, the most annoyed and irritable. I don't even know. Like usually with the case, there's that like one moment where I get super emotional and I'm like, oh, this is why I'm so angry. But this is just like from the beginning to end I'm just like tense. My muscles and my stomach are clenched and I just feel anger. The biggest shocker to me was the, the suicide. Yeah. I mean, a, a professional FBI agent that does this for a living. Mm -hmm. And she was experienced. It wasn't her first day on the job. And that was her job for a really long time. Like she was the one that did that, wrote these reports, detailed all of that. This is dark. Yeah. Like, this would have been way too dark to do in a mukbang. Oh, hell no. <laughs> yeah, like, how can I, like, sit there and, like, slurp a noodle and be like, anyway, so in this box. <laughs> so I hope you guys enjoyed our first podcast. I feel almost weird starting our podcast with something so dark and not light and funny and cute. But, I mean, that's kind of what this podcast is for because you guys were asking for the darkest of the darkest crimes. Yeah. You crazy business. <laughs> so I hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast. We will be back in a week with another dark podcast, maybe even sooner, depending. So I will see you guys in a couple of days. Please stay safe. Bye.